text appointed today is taken from the introit, from Psalm 25. Unto thee, O Lord, will I lift up my soul. O my God, I have put my trust in thee. O let me not be confounded. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, for the last few weeks in Lent, I've been focusing on the strange practice that we've been doing of veiling the icons and the crucifix. And just like every other physical aspect of our parish, from the way the church is designed, the architecture, uh, to our vestments, to the smell of the incense, to the music and the tones that we use, all of the physical practices that we do have a deep spiritual meaning and significance. So generally speaking, the veils during Lent help to intensify our desires for the objects that they veil, to move us beyond the veil into the signification of the object. And that in itself is a symbol of our Lenten walk in which our fasting and our prayer intensifies our desire for God himself. Each week of this Lent, our understanding of that symbol of the veil has deepened as I've started to focus on what does the veil in itself mean. And what I want to highlight is the reality of our human condition. Uh, to seek what then veils our own understanding of God. In Ash Wednesday in Lent 1, uh, we saw that our human nature naturally desires what is good and true and beautiful. We desire to move beyond ourselves. But there's a limit to that. Because we are created beings. We are finite. Our desires and our intellect can move everywhere. We desire everything. We can think about anything and everything. There's no limit to them. But we cannot satisfy those desires or our intellect by the finite reality in which we live. Our human nature, designed as it is, can only be satisfied by the infinite. And so, in a sense, there is a veil in our understanding as we attempt as humans to move from the finite into the infinite. But there's a second veil as well. And this we looked at last week when we saw that not only is our human nature limited just by its finiteness, but by its createdness, but also that those human faculties that we have are wounded. We more often desire the good rather than the best. We fail to see some meaning, but not the true meaning of our lives. In other words, we just, we just gape at the world that's in front of us rather than seeing in order to understand the world as God understands the world. These are the wounds, the wounds of the fall that make it impossible for us to live a complete, a perfect, a happy life. Ignorance means that our intellectual capacity to know and to form judgments concerning spiritual things is not complete. Malice means that our will has lost 
the capability of inclining towards the true good. Concupiscence means that we inherit disordered desires for sensual needs. And then finally, weakness refers to the lack of power our will has to not only fight against evil, but even just to strive in difficulty towards the good. And those wounds veil our vision of reality. And given all those difficulties, there's still another veil left for us to examine. And that is the veil that covers understanding and twists our own desires. It's our own sins. Through ignorance, malice, concupiscence, and weakness, we do not choose the best for us. We lose sight of the best. And then we end up choosing a lesser good or a distorted good. This insight of how the human nature works is from St. Thomas Aquinas, who realized that everything humans choose, we choose under the aspect of a good because we're naturally drawn to choose those things which make us happy. But sin occurs when we live out our lives under and through our misaligned and distorted desires. And so as a result, we further break our relationship with God, with reality, and then even more, sin frustrates us because as we turn towards a distorted desire, as we turn towards finite reality, or we turn to ourselves, we are acting in a way that inherently cannot satisfy ourselves. And so the sin breaks the relationship and builds a greater frustration for how to seek after the good. So in the metaphor we're working with, our sins then layer a thicker and thicker veil over our understanding. And that's frightening. But even these veils, these veils push us, they move us to seek that which is more. In fact, the veils actually highlight a restlessness that can only be satisfied by the ultimate reality. If only we had a way to really break through. If only we had a way to understand the reality as it is. Well, as I mentioned last week, Psalm 25 is a tutor of a sort for our spiritual life. And it's been especially chosen by the church only for the last 2,000 years. But for a while, to be used during these two weeks in Lent that focus on perseverance in our Lenten fast. St. Jerome summarizes this psalm as the clamor of the church making her request to God. The clamor of the church making her request to God. And I call it a tutor because it shows how to move towards God, how to see, how to desire, how to know God despite the veils of humanity. This is the first psalm of what are called the seven alphabetic psalms. They're acrostics. They take each letter of the Hebrew alphabet and they write a verse starting with that letter. And there's seven of these, but this one's interesting. It's actually not complete. They forgot some of the alphabet, which I don't think is really the case. I think what's going on here is this psalm being about the move towards wholeness, 
but not yet there, is an incomplete alphabet showing that kind of desire for more. It can be viewed sort of in three parts of the song, where the first five verses, the church is crying out to God that she may be taught in his ways. And then the middle section is when the church asks for God to bestow upon her the favors that he bestowed on the Holy Fathers from the very beginning. And the last section, from verse 12 all the way to the end, is when the church shows how those that keep the way of the Lord enter into eternal life. And then she sets that she will do the same, to persevere. As we examine the meaning of the song, we see that it provides a blueprint of unveiling, a way in which to see reality as it truly is. Really, to see God. And it does this first by emphasizing humility. As we live in humility, we are then moved to repentance. And in that move, that move towards repentance, we are inherently moving beyond ourselves. We are finding a way to be freed from sins as we repent and call upon his name. And in that, overcoming the veil of our sins. Listen to verse 16 and, and on. Turn thee unto me, have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. O bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Then second, as we follow his ways, God heals us from our wounds with divine medicine, overcoming the veil of ignorance, malice, concupiscence, and weakness. Listen from verse 4 on here. The psalmist says, Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Do you see what's happened in that move of repentance, of moving towards God? Now we also have a path. We have a way in which to live that is a way of freedom, a way of light, a way of truth. Finally, as we lift our hearts, our very being up to God, he joins our nature to his. And in that, we are overcoming the veil of finite humanity. And so the very first verse of this psalm becomes the key to the rest of the psalm. It's the sursum corda. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Which means putting one's own life not into your own hands, but into the hands of God. God must be our final end. And so we turn to him in order to live. You all know this. When you plant a garden, you put seeds in the ground and you water it. If that seed does not sprout, it just rots in the ground. But if the seed pushes forth a sprout and it lifts itself up, it then has the chance of fulfilling what it is destined to be, a fruitful plant. We will leave ourselves dead if we don't lift up ourselves to God and turn our desires and thoughts to him. And so the author continues in the psalm that he puts his trust in God, acknowledging that no other thing, nothing in the world, 
Nothing in the flesh, definitely nothing from the devil, can fulfill our desires. In each of these unveilings, we see, though, that this is not just some sort of DIY personal happiness plan. It is the work of God. It's God who heals humanity in the incarnation. It's God who joins himself to you at your baptism as a pure gift. It's God who frees you from your sins. This is how St. Paul puts it in the epistle. Be, therefore, followers of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. We are his children, and we participate. We walk in his ways as he moves us towards a life of perfect freedom. And that's eternal life. Eternal life in the good and the true and the beautiful. You see how this movement is. We must be careful in Lent, though, not to think that the purpose of the Christian life is a negative walk, meaning that the purpose of your life is to fight sin. Of course you're supposed to fight sin, but that's not the end. The fight against our enemies is just one part of the Christian life. I mean, think of the man whom Jesus mentions in the gospel. He might fight off a demon for a day. He might clean himself. He might rid himself of the sin. But if he doesn't seek after the good, what happens? Seven more demons come, and they love it. A clean house, and they fill it quickly. What a waste of a life. Let me be clear. We, we do fight against the devil. We do fight against the world, and we do fight against the flesh. But we fight knowing that we're fighting in victory. And that victory is declared to us when we're baptized. If you look at the liturgy for baptism, you'll see that we pray to God to mystically wash away our sins. But that's not the end. Then we ask for God to fill us with the Holy Ghost. Anytime there's an exorcism, whether this be an exorcism of a person or an exorcism of a house, at a house blessing. You pray the exorcism that the devil leave, but then you add a blessing. You fill it. You fill the space literally with a blessing. And in this case, in the case of baptism, in the case in each and every one of you, God has washed away your sins and then filled you with himself, with the Holy Ghost. We do not, like in the gospel passage, cast out a demon and then leave it empty. No, your soul and body are filled with the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the living God. And that's why St. Paul in the epistle declares so boldly, now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And for Paul, there's an urgency, not because we're about to lose the fight, but because we have already won. And he desires so strongly that you and the Ephesians stay on the winning side. Have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. It's a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. This is the light. 
that can shine through veils. This is the light that can open up the veils, not only through your sins and through the wounds of the fall, but also right through your own humanity and to lift you up into God himself. In your, in your own personal life, you live out this conflict on a day-to-day -day basis. You fight against personal sin, maybe by giving up anger or bitterness or turning away from another battle or resisting prideful thoughts that arise or looking away from whatever is on the screen in front of you. It is a daily fight, but I want you to see that it is fought with a cosmic battle that has already been won. God unveils in order for you to live. And following Psalm 25, we enter into that reality by walking in his humility. So seek after the light. Repent. Dedicate your soul and body to Christ every morning. And remember that your life is hid in him. Unto thee, O Lord, will I lift up my soul. O my God, I have put my trust in thee. O let me not be confounded. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.